You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh Lord Jesus, even in this moment, would you hold us fast by the power of your gospel, by the hope of your word. Draw our hearts and our minds together toward affection with you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If there were um, baseball in ancient Israel, then you wouldn't find John 3.16 placards in the crowds or on players' bodies. Obviously, the verse wasn't around in the days of Moses and the early Israelites, and, and the thought of ancient Israelites playing baseball is a little silly, maybe a fun thought experiment. Um, I bet Goliath wished he had someone uh, scout David's throwing arm out. Listen, Goliath, he can really hum it, uh, but I digress. There is a verse, however, that could be identified as the Old Testament's John 3.16. It comes from Deuteronomy 6.4 and begins with a simple command to hear, to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. This well-known and oft-repeated verse forms the very heart of ancient Israel's piety, of ancient Israel's revealed understanding of who God is and who they are to be as God's people. So here's the pressing question that Deuteronomy leaves with readers of all time, ancient and modern. In light of God's great redeeming power and grace to save us, in light of the fact that we were slaves in Egypt and slaves to sin's tyranny, in light of the fact that God has redeemed us in the waters of the Red Sea and the waters of the cross, what does God want from us? What does he expect from you? God, what is your will? Printing presses have been publishing books on this question for a long time. And the reason, I think, for this cottage industry of books on God's will, or at least one of the reasons, is straightforward enough. It's not always easy to discern God's will, or the direction that one should travel, or the decisions that one should make in our world. An obvious recent example. Christians driven by conscience have landed all over the recent political map, and many have done so in an effort to be faithful to Jesus. And for others, I'm sure, on both sides of the spectrum, Jesus has either nothing to do with it or the picture of Jesus is a rather distorted one. But the fact remains, these current issues can be confusing or at least not self-evident, and sorting through the layers of cultural and social and intellectual forces at work, the the forces that shape our decision-making and our moral intuitions, our gut, if you will, it can get exhausting. So we're still left with this basic question, God, what do you want from us? How do we live faithfully among the nations? And the book of Deuteronomy drives us to these questions and provides us with profound answers, with first principles that shape our understanding of who God is and who God wants us to be. 
Because it appears within Deuteronomy that the more radical and the more basic question is not, God, what should we do? But God, what kind of people are we to be? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. It's as if Moses wants God's people to know, of all time, to know the first questions, the basic questions that we should be asking of ourselves and of our church. And these questions are built on a more fundamental reality of our existence as God's people. Who are we? What's our self-understanding? How do we plot ourselves as a community? And here's the answer that Moses gives us so long ago. We're first and foremost citizens of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem where God's kingdom rules and reigns under the powerful and gracious hand of Jesus Christ. All other allegiances and identities are shaped or constituted or whatever all-encompassing word you can find by our citizenship in the heavenly city now. Or in the words of Moses in Deuteronomy, listen to this Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or if I can gloss this a little bit different way. The Lord our God, the Lord alone. The Lord Jesus Christ and him alone, no others. Our allegiance is to him and to him alone. No other figures or systems replace our loyalty to King Jesus. I was reading a bit this week in in James Smith's book entitled On the Road with St. Augustine. I I commend this to you, actually. I like a lot of what Smith has to say and think he's a pretty good writer as well. In the early church, St. Augustine helped Christians understand their identity in light of the fall of Rome. Rome had just fallen, and there was a great deal of confusion, even for Christians. Could Rome really fall? Even Christian Rome? Well, yes, it did, as did Greece before her and Persia before her and Babylon before her, and you kind of get the trajectory. And Augustine pastors the church back then, and I think he pastors the church now, today, toward a proper understanding of their true citizenship in heaven. While here on earth, we share so much in common with the inhabitants of the so-called earthly city. We drive on the same roads. We rely on the same economic machinery. We make our ways to the same polling booths, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a responsible thing for Christians to work toward the building and the preserving of the earthly city. Remember Jeremiah's words to the exiles in Babylon, seek the welfare of the city. But the earthly city is not our true habitat. Even now, right now, here in these pews, we inhabit the heavenly city. And it's this city where our true identity and our citizenship resides. So listen to what James Smith says uh, in light of Augustine's view of the two cities. I I found this very helpful. And I'm quoting him here. This is why Augustine could commend politics as a call worthy of the Christian. The hard, good work of politics is a way to love your neighbor in a tragic fallen world. If politics is the art of the possible, it can also be a prudential way to secure justice, beat back evil, mitigate the effects of the fall. Nevertheless, and I'll tell you, this is a big nevertheless. Nevertheless, when Augustine counsels political actors like Boniface and Macedonius, he does so with wide-eyed realism. 
He's under no illusions about human nature triumphing over selfishness or escaping its proclivity for disordered love. He has no expectations of legislating our way to the kingdom. To the contrary, it's a a matter of legislating in a world where we have to keep praying together Sunday after Sunday, thy kingdom come. So Smith clarifies and he concludes, so Augustine never overexpects from politics. Moses, like Augustine after him, prepares God's people for living among the kingdoms of this world, a living among the nations of our world. And the first stop admittedly doesn't answer all the complicated questions that face us. What does God want from us? Or what does God expect for his, for his people as the redeemed? But he provides for us Deuteronomy 6.4 as the lodestar. It's the basic question by which all other complicated questions are framed. The Lord and the Lord alone, this is our first stop. He wants our exclusive loyalty to him. No others. Jesus is king. Jesus alone. And Moses tells us to love God, which is such a strange thing to command, but it makes sense in terms of exclusive loyalty to him, exclusive loyalty to God alone, with all of your mind and with all of your affections. And do it very, very much, Moses says. It's from this position where we enter life in the earthly city and navigate through its complexities with humility and energy, with abandon, that our loyalties range higher than any earthly institution, even as we work hard to love our neighbors. So before you go and live among the Canaanites, before you go and live among those on the right or the left, keep clear the object of your ultimate and final loyalties. King Jesus who rules and reigns in the heavenly city. Now, I I imagine some of you are thinking right now, uh, Mark, none of our reading, our reading this morning in Deuteronomy didn't really have to do with the stuff that you're saying. Fair enough, you see it in your handout. But our reading in Deuteronomy 18 actually shares in the same flavor of Deuteronomy 6 and the call to exclusive loyalty to the Lord and the Lord alone. Again, Moses is preparing God's people for living among the nations of the world. Be prepared. Be alert, he's telling them in Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you will quickly find that every nation, the Philistines, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Phoenicians, all of them desire to hear a clear word from their deity, from their divinity. But Moses warns them in the verses before the ones that are in your handout. He warns them, you must not learn from them. Don't learn their ways. Don't adopt their practices. Make yourselves distinct by not following the cultic practices of all these surrounding nations. Divinization, sorcery, necromancy. I mean, some pretty scary stuff, but all intoxicating and all on offer by the surrounding nations. Don't learn their ways, Moses says. It's not a bad thing for us to hear from Moses ourselves in this moment that we're in. When the cultural forces lean against the kingship of Christ and offer alternative paths for personal peace or satisfaction, Moses rises from the midst of Holy Scripture and warns us today, don't learn their ways. Love God. And love God alone. For God provides for us something greater and richer 
and more profound than anything on offer from the surrounding nations. He tells us that he's going to give us a prophet like Moses, one from their own midst who will speak God's word to us, bring his saving presence to us, intercede for us before God's very fiery being, just like Moses did on Mount Sinai so long ago. It's got to be one of the scariest and funniest sections of the Bible when we read in the Pentateuch that God summons all of the people up to Mount Sinai to commune with him. And the people come from the outside their tents and they look up at Mount Sinai and they see it smoking and thunderous and shaking. And they say to Moses, how about you go up there for us? We'll stay here. And he went and he interceded for them. And here God promises them a future prophet who, like Moses, will suffer for them, intercede for them, pray for them, bring God's saving word to them. In short, in Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells us of his greater son, Jesus Christ, who would be life and safety and health to us, better than angels, better than Moses, just better because he's the son of God and the son of man for me and for you. And he's made clear to us this morning in Deuteronomy what he wants from me and from you. Exclusive loyalty to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We're all, I'm in great need of wisdom and humility and courage in these days. (laughs) I've been reminded just this week about how much I don't know and understand. And frankly, how much I don't know that I even don't know. And I think we should probably be cautious about taking an overly optimistic view or an overly pessimistic view of our country's future. I also believe being a Christian in the public square no longer carries the weight and the respect it once did. We won't legislate ourselves into the kingdom. And maybe perhaps all of this is for the better good. For all of these current trends provide us now, today, with a very clarifying moment. A time for all of us, myself included, to pause and reflect and recalibrate our hope. The location where we place all of our confidences. Because the time is now, no matter what God has for the future of our own nation, the time is now for us to clarify our ultimate allegiances and loyalties. And this is what Moses says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.